Well, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you love his word, would you open your Bible? And if you don't know, would you open it anyways? We are going to look into the word of God. This is where we get the source of truth. We look into his word. His word is the all-sufficient revelation of God. Daniel chapter number 6. Daniel 6. Trust the faithfulness of God. I want you to imagine Daniel looking out of his window in his home, looking toward Jerusalem a thousand miles away. The sun is setting. He's overlooking the city there. He's in his 80s and begins to contemplate the last 70 or so years of his life. He remembers being a teenager in Jerusalem, the Babylonian army coming in and him being taken captive, taken back to Babylon. He remembers clearly the trauma that took place. He was made a eunuch. He was, they tried to indoctrinate him into the Babylonian cult. He remembers the suffering He remembers the loneliness of those years, being away from his family, from all he knew. And then he looks out now in his 80s, he sees people who have been deported as well. Some of them have been married, had children, and he sees the Jewish people are still not in Jerusalem. As he thinks about Jerusalem, he he considers it as a pile of rubble. He thinks about the temple that has been there, wasted He now considers the country he's living in, a foreign land that lives in the lust of idolatry and immorality. And maybe some of those Jews there, maybe they wondered, has God forgotten us? Maybe they considered that maybe God doesn't love us anymore. Maybe he's forgotten his promises to us. But not Daniel. Daniel was a man who kept trusting in the faithfulness of God. And in Babylon, Daniel had really only two things to hold on to, his God and his God's word, the word of God. In fact, one of the scriptures that I'm certain Daniel would have read is Jeremiah. Jeremiah, actually it should be 29, 29, 10 through 13, says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you. I fulfill, will fulfill to you my promises and bring you back to this place. So I imagine as he's thinking of this scripture, he's looking out, he's thinking, God, you promised us through the prophet Jeremiah in your word that you would take us from this place and you would take us back to Jerusalem, yet we're still here. But you go on to say, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And I can imagine Daniel falling on his knees before that window, looking towards Jerusalem and praying, saying, God, fulfill your promises. We seek you with all our heart, Lord. What was Daniel doing when he was doing that, praying? He was trusting in the faithfulness of God. Why did Daniel pray morning 
afternoon and evening. It wasn't a ritual for Daniel. It was because he believed God is faithful. That's who God is. He has promises to us, and he is able to do what he promises. In fact, Deuteronomy 7, 9, one of the key texts that the Jewish people would have held on to as they consider the faithfulness of God, says, know, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness. And notice there he says, God is the faithful God. That's, the, that's a Hebrew word, aman, or as we know in English, amen. It's the idea that God is trustworthy. He is certain. He is sure. God's character and his word can be counted on. There's nothing that can thwart God. He won't change his mind. He's unchanging in his attributes. He never wavers. God is the most certain reality in the universe. In his faithfulness, God saves. In his faithfulness, God keeps In his faithfulness, God defends those he saves. In his faithfulness, God provides for those he saves. God is the most certain reality. God is faithful. He's aman. He's amen. So what we see in Daniel chapter 6 is really the conclusion of Daniel's ministry and the culmination of God's faithfulness to Daniel. And remember Daniel, the book of Daniel is not about be like Daniel. It's not dare to be a Daniel. That's not what Daniel, the book of Daniel is about. It's about the faithfulness of God. And because God is faithful, we can trust him. In fact, you might remember the faith chapter of Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 33. Do you know Daniel is in that chapter? Hebrews 11 says, the prophets who through faith Stop the mouths of lions. Well, who did that? Well, God did through the faith of Daniel. Because God is faithful, we can trust him. And that's what this text here is about this morning. In fact, notice in Daniel chapter 6, I want you to follow this in Daniel 6. Look at verse 4. Verse 4 describes Daniel as faithful. It's actually the Aramaic word, which is similar to the Hebrew word aman. So look in verse 4 at the very end. It says that Daniel, he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. So Daniel was aman. He was amen. He was faithful. He was trustworthy. And why is that? Because he trusted a faithful God. Look down in verse 10. You can see David or Daniel, Daniel expressing his faith. Verse 10, Daniel got on his knees. It's the middle of the verse. Daniel got on his knees three times a day prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Again, why did he get on his knees three times a day and pray to God? Because he believed God was faithful to do what he said. And so he just over and over came to God and said, God, you're faithful. And I'm going to speak to you and petition you. And then look down at verse 23. I think verses 22 and 23 are the, really the climax of this text. If you look in verse 23... Look at the, it kind of gives away with the story, but you look in verse 23, look at the very end of the verse. The Bible says, so Daniel was taken up out of the den. No harm was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted. Again, that's the Aramaic 
a word which is also similar to the Hebrew word aman. He had faith. He trusted in his God. Why did God deliver Daniel? It's because Daniel trusted in the faithfulness of God. This word aman, this word faith, trust, is used over and over in the Old Testament to describe God's people and their faith in him. Abraham, in Genesis 15, 6, says, Abraham aman, he believed in the Lord, he believed Yahweh. And we are called to have this same faith. And so my desire here this morning is for us to see the faithful God and to put our trust in him. Because God is faithful, you can trust him. Let's ask God to take his word. Let's ask God to give us faith and grace to believe it and believe that he will do what he promises. Let's pray. Father, we believe. We believe you are faithful. You are certain. What you say, what you promise will take place because that's who you are. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for each one of us in this room. May we place our faith in you. May we continue to trust you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been in one of those amen churches? You know what I'm talking about? There we go. You, you know, the pastor says something and someone says amen. Maybe they say shake that bush. You ever heard that one before? Okay. Or hallelujah. Maybe they raise their hands a little bit more than you guys do in here. But if you're, yeah, there you go. If you're an amen, and actually I don't mind that. If you want to say amen, maybe not shake that bush. That might be a little bit weird. But if you want to say amen, that's okay. But if you've been in one of those churches before, you might have recognized people saying amen at the exactly wrong time, right? The, yeah, right there, like that. <laughs> a pastor might say something like, you know, there was once a man who said he didn't believe in the Bible, and someone says, amen, and everyone's going, ah. You know, that guy was probably asleep, and he probably just woke up, and, you know, he shouted amen. I grew up in an amen church, okay, and that's, that happened a number of times. I could tell some funny stories, but some of it involves my family, and so they might be listening, so I can't do that. But the word amen means I believe it's true. That's certain. I trust that. What that's saying, in fact, the Bible uses this word aman, the Hebrew word aman, amen, a number of times. talks about the Bible being aman. In Psalm 93.5, your decrees are aman. They are trustworthy. They are certain. Psalm 19.7, the testimony of the Lord is sure. It's aman. It's amen. 1 John 1, 9, of course, this is in the Greek, but similar idea. If we confess our sins, God will forgive our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness righteousness because he is aman. He's faithful and just. So, and all God's people said? There we go. That means you think that's certain and that's true. Jesus is called Revelation 3, 14. He is faithful. He is amen and true. So God is amen. So when you say amen, when you're singing a song, you say amen, you're saying, that's certain, that's true, that will take place because God is trustworthy. And so our first point here this morning is that no matter where you are, you can trust God by faithfully serving him. Because God is faithful, you can trust him. And so what we're going to see here in Daniel chapter 6, that no matter where you are, you can trust God and you can express that by faithfully serving him. 
Daniel was in his 80s. He got bounced from Jerusalem to the Babylonian Empire. Now he's serving in the Medo-Persian Empire in Daniel chapter 6. But what's amazing about Daniel is no matter what context Daniel's in, he keeps trusting God. Look at verse 1. Daniel 6, 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. I'm going to stop right there. In Daniel chapter 6 here, Daniel was serving King Darius. Darius, you say potato, I say potato. I don't know if it really matters how you say it. But King Darius, he served under the Medo-Persian ruler, King Cyrus. Now, some people actually see Darius or Darius as um, the same person as King Cyrus. I think they probably are two separate people. It seems pretty clear to me that the Bible indicates that. Uh, I think that probably King Darius was overseeing the Chaldean part of the empire, of the Medo-Persian empire. But either way, he appointed 120 satraps, or you could say governors, to oversee different districts. So these are like the governors of the states, if you want to say it that way. And then there was three officials that he put over those say traps over those governors, and those three officials, one of those three officials included Daniel. And so look down in Daniel chapter 3. You can see that Daniel now is in this high position of authority, and it's going even higher. Verse 3, then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and say traps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So he keeps climbing higher in this kingdom. What Daniel stood out. What was it about Daniel? What was it about Daniel that made him stand out? What, what caught the attention of the king? You know, was it his looks? I mean, he was in his 80s. They didn't have Botox back then, right? Was it, was it his charisma? Maybe it was his competency. Maybe it was his wisdom. Maybe it was his education, his degrees. No, it was none of that. It was, it was an attitude he had. It was a spirit he had. Look at verse 3. Why did he put him in charge? Why did he want to set him over the whole kingdom? Because an excellent spirit was found in him. This is his, the attitude of his heart was excellent. One person said the, the attitude of the heart is really the, your attitude is really the aroma of your heart. Your attitude is the aroma of your heart. What was the aroma of his heart? It was one that was excellent. This Hebrew word excellent, yatir, is used in Daniel chapter 2 verse 31, where there's the bright image, it's made of gold, and the sun, the Arabian sun, is shining on this image. It's brilliant. Everyone's seeing it. They're amazed. It's bright. It's shining. And the Bible says in Daniel 2, 31, this image, mighty and of exceeding brightness. So it just, it shone forth. That's the same word that's used here of Daniel's spirit. It's actually used as well in Daniel chapter 3, verse, three, uh, three verse, chapter 3, verse 22, to describe the fiery furnace and how hot and blazing it was. So it's this idea, as Daniel went around, he shone forth. What shone forth from Daniel? It was the glory of God. It was a spirit of excellence. What was amazing about Daniel 
was his attitude. The king did not want to suffer loss, right? Like any good boss, he wanted to be prosperous. So he said, who's the best person for this? And he saw Daniel, this guy works hard. Daniel did the job well. His attitude sparkled for the glory of God. And this is what a, a person who has a heart of faithfulness to God, this is what that heart looks like. It's one of excellence. Colossians 3 23 says, says, whatever you do, whatever you do, right? Whatever you do. Do we got that one? Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as to the Lord and not unto people. Isn't that what you see here in Daniel? Daniel does what he does for the Lord, serving the Lord. And really, Christians, we should be the best employees. We should work hard we should be the most joyful employee in the entire place. We should do our best. The glory of the Lord, or the, the joy of the Lord, should shine through us. We should do it for the glory of God. I had a pastor who influenced me, and he influenced me with this idea that we should do everything with excellence. He would say it like this do everything with excellence because God is worthy. And people are worth it. And over and over and over, he said that to me, and it got in my head after a while. Do everything with excellence because God is worthy and people are worth it. So if you're, if you're doing the greeting, you get here early. Why is that? Because God is worthy and people are worth it. You walk around, you see a piece of trash, and you say, oh, I need to pick that up and throw it away. Why is that? Because God is worthy and people are worth it. If you're working the sound booth or you're cleaning the buildings or you're working in the nursery, you, you do your best. Why? Because God is worthy and people are worth it. If you're doing the music, you practice throughout the whole week. Why? Because God is worthy and people are worth it. The idea is we do, we live our life with this excellent spirit because God is worthy. People are worth it. Sometimes we can, and, and many people do a job just to try to get by. And sometimes it's the attitude of, well, that's, that's good enough for that. Or maybe someone else will do that. And when we serve, when we do something, even in our jobs or in our churches or in our homes, we do something with that attitude of, oh, it's good enough. It shows who we're truly serving, which is who? It's ourself. We're just trying to do what we want to do. We're serving ourselves. And you say, well, Pastor Ben, I don't see in here where it says that Daniel was serving God. Don't you think you took that a little too far? Well, look down at verse 16, Daniel chapter 6, verse 16. Notice how his boss describes him. Daniel 6, 16. Again, go to the middle of the verse there. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually. And you say, oh, come on, one reference, Ben. Oh, I'll give you another one. Look down at verse 20. The, the king declared to Daniel, oh, Daniel... Servant of the living God has your God whom you serve continually. This, this boss, this king, he recognized why Daniel served with an excellent spirit. It's because Daniel served God. Daniel was faithful to God because God was faithful to him. And he believed since God is faithful, he would serve the Lord. In fact, look down in verse 3. And it wasn't just that this is something that he did because he loved God and Trusted God. Verse 3 says, then this Daniel. Now, if you read that, you should notice that they tried to change his name. I mean, for 70 years, they've been trying to get him to have a different name. But now, 
after all that time of indoctrination, he still goes by Daniel. In fact, they now describe him as Daniel. That's his Hebrew name, which means God, the Yahweh, the Lord is, or God, sorry, God is the judge. And so here he has this testimony coming through. He served the king and ultimately the Lord with excellence. I think it's probably good for us to ask ourselves, this past week, whatever you did, maybe you had a job, place of employment you went to, maybe you're at home working, maybe you're a child and your parents told you to clean up your room, did you do that job with excellence? Did, did you do it for the glory of God? Did you do it because God is worthy and, and people are worth it? Did you do it to, to better your place of employment? Did you do it to honor Christ? Then look at verse 4. Then the kings, sorry, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or fault. In other words, there's nothing in his job that he did wrong. It wasn't that he was a perfect person. It was that he did his job well. He did it with excellence. Why did he do it with excellence? Because he, verse 4 goes on to say, because he was faithful, aman, and no error or fault was found in him. What was the source of Daniel's excellent attitude of his work ethic? It was faith in God. Think about Daniel. I mean, he's in his 80s. Isn't it time for retirement, Daniel? I mean, wasn't Daniel too old for this kind of stuff? I mean, don't you think Daniel was tired? I mean, if you're that old, do you get tired? Yes. There you go. I didn't want to point anyone out, but. I mean, don't you think he thought to himself, isn't it time for the next generation to step up? I mean, come on, I've been doing this for a long time. But Daniel continued to serve God. Why? Because he believed, he believed that God had placed him there. He believed God had placed him there, so he continued to trust his God. Now, see, I think the question for us is, where has God placed you? Of course, if you're in a certain home, that's the answer for that. If you're in a place of employment, that's the answer for that. You're here at Lighthouse Bible Church. That's the answer for that. And so the question is, where has God placed you, and how are you serving God within that context? It could be that you're, you're not viewing that place of employment or that home or this church. You don't view it as a place to serve. That probably means we need to change our thinking on that. Or it could be that maybe you're just kind of wasting your life away. I mean, maybe your life is just you're watching TV all day or playing video games, and you're just, your life is just ticking by, and you don't even think about anyone but yourself. But the question I think God has for us today is, where has God placed you, and then how can you serve God in that place? You think, well, I'm too young. I mean, Daniel was 15. He was a teenager when he started serving God, right? He started serving the king <laughs> at the age of 15, and then he was in his 80s. Some think maybe even into his 90s. So you're never too young. You're never too old to serve the Lord. Harry Ironside, who was a pastor at the Moody Church, told a story of when he was younger, he worked for a shoemaker. And this was the day, the day when they used to actually make their own shoes. They didn't get them from China, right? And they had real leather shoes. So he would take a, a cowhide. He would cut it out. He would soak it in water. Then he would take a hammer, and he'd just pound at that leather all day long with a flat hammer. He'd just pound at it all day long. And it was a lot of work. It was tiring work. And he thought some days that he didn't want to be doing this work anymore. 
So he went down the road one day, and there was another shoemaker, and he went inside the shoemaker's house and saw him making, or his house and his business, saw him making some shoes, and so he started talking to him. He noticed this guy would, you know, dip the leather in there and cut it out, but then he would put it right on the shoe. He didn't do any pounding. He thought, well, that would save a lot of work. So he asked this guy, why, why don't you, you know, pound it out like that? And he goes, well, you know, um, if you do it this way, then they'll come back to your shop and get it repaired a lot quicker. Make some more money. Wink, wink. And so this, you know, young Harry thought to himself, well, this is a great idea. So he went back and told his boss. And he said, hey, hey, listen, this, this is what this guy does down there. And that, that could save us some money, but also and some, me some time. And also it can make us some more money. This is a great idea. His boss, though, was a Christian. This is what he said to him. He said, Harry, I do not make shoes for the money. I do it for the glory of God. At the judgment seat of Christ, I want to see Christ smile and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, and that even includes making shoes. His boss was a faithful servant of God. And he served God and he served people with excellence because he believed God was faithful and God would reward him in the end. And so we must, no matter where we are, serve God trust that he has placed us there and then second our second point when sinners scheme you can trust God in dependent faith because God is faithful you can trust him so when skinner sinners scheme it's hard to say that when sinners scheme you can trust God in dependent prayer Daniel was found to be faithful and dependable so Surely life goes smooth when that happens, right? If you're a good employee, life's all going to work out for you, isn't it? That's not what you see in the text here. His colleagues and those under him conspired to get rid of him. They were envious of his success and his favor with the king, so they plotted to demote him to death. That's what you see, verse 4. And the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So what did they do? Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So now they're plotting. Okay, how can we get this guy? How can we take him down? We don't want him overseeing all, all of us. Like, you know, we want this guy to get, get in that place. Imagine these men gathering in gossip, plotting to destroy Daniel. And then they hatch a plan. And they group together and they go and tell the king. And I want you to notice when we read through these next verses, notice the elements of this scheme that they have. Its goal was to entrap Daniel. Its methods were to flatter the king. They, they told mostly what was true, but put a little lie in there to make it go their way. And they did this. They employed these schemes for selfish gain. And this is how the workers of iniquity practice their craft right here. And who do they learn that from? Satan himself. I think it's important for us to consider this as we go into this text because we have this take place in our life, right? We have people that 
that work for us, some work with us, some there, sometimes they're our neighbors, sometimes there's people in our own home, sometimes they're in our churches. People practice this craft of scheming. I think even, I think about the church, and praise God, I don't know if this happening at all right now, but I think it's always important to help us remember that this will happen in our church. Some people get surprised. They're like, I can't believe there would be divisions and people would do stuff like this in a church. But can I tell you, before it happens, okay, this is going to happen in our church. You say, well, how do you know that, Pastor Ben? Well, 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen, There must be factions among you. That's talking about the church. There must be divisions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There's a purification process in a church. But what happens is you do have these divisions, these schemes where people break off and they plot. And sometimes, sometimes it starts with a word of gossip. Hey, did you hear this? Did you hear that? Sometimes there's flattery. I'm telling this to you because I know you're a spiritual person. Sometimes it's served with truth. I would say most of the time it's served with truth and just maybe twists the truth a little bit or puts a little bit of a lie in there. And its goal in the end is to entrap. Sometimes the goal is just to have the drama of sin. Some people just love drama, don't they? That's why 1 Corinthians 10.13 warns us there's no temptation, there's no sin, there's no temptation to sin, I should say, that is overtaking you that is not common to man. In other words, these kind of things happen. Temptation comes, but that's why we must trust God, as the verse says. But God is faithful God is amen. We can trust him. And so when, those, when that person comes to plot or something like that happens, we can say, God, you're faithful. Your grace is available to me to take me through this. This is not uncommon, but you can help me overcome by your grace. He gives us a way of escape through his aman, through his faithfulness. Daniel's co-workers were causing division, stirring up dra drama for selfish gain. Look in verse 6. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed. All of us are agreed. Is that true? Yes, except for one person. They left out someone. The person they isn't that interesting? Here, they told the truth, but just left out one detail. They're all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, we like you, king, shall be cast into the den of lions. So there's the flattery. And so basically, the law is designed to feed on his ego, by saying that, you know, you, king, should be the one that people should pray to and talk to. And I think it's an, a sense of that he's the mediator between the gods. In some sense, it exalts him to be a god. And that could have been in their idea, or it could be that they wanted him to be the mediator for all prayers. Either way, this was flattery. And they knew he wasn't a god, right? I mean, they weren't doing this because they thought, oh, you do have godlike status. They were doing it for their own selfish gain. So look at verse 8. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and 
Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. He gives into it. Seems like it's pretty hasty. Probably a good example of why you shouldn't make a hasty decision. Don't take that job right there, right? Don't just sign that document. Probably should consider what's behind some of the motives there. Look at verse 10. Imagine these guys all running back. They're all excited. Woo! Our plot worked. Verse 10, Daniel finds out about it. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, and stop right there, think about that. I mean, we don't know how he found out about it. Maybe a servant came and told him, but he knew what it meant. And what did he do right away? What did he do right away? He went to pray. Sometimes things like this can happen and we can be shocked, right? I can't believe people would do that kind of thing. But friends, let's remember, sinners sin, right? Hurting people sometimes hurt people. Sometimes you feel the brunt of other people's sin. Again, sometimes it's a neighbor, sometimes it's a sibling, sometimes it's a co-worker, sometimes, unfortunately, it's people in the church of God. And the question is, what do you do when a sinner, remember, you're a sinner too, so, but when another sinner sins against you? What should you do? What did Daniel do? Well, he went to tell everybody about it, right? Go tell everybody. Is that what he did? No. I mean, go call your mom or, or put it on social media. Pray for me. There's a problem at work. Or maybe ignore it. What should you do? Well, what did Daniel do? He kept trusting in his faithful God. Now, I'll say this, this kind of as a side note. In a Christian context, in a church, what should we do when someone sins against us? Well, we read it in our scripture memory this morning, if you remember the verse. Brothers, if anyone's overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, those of you who are walking in the spirit, you're to do what? You're to restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So if someone sins against you, what do you do? You probably should first pray like Daniel did, and then go help restore them. Go talk to them about that. Make sure you go to that person. That's what God commands us. But the truth is, for Daniel, none of that even would have worked, even even if he would have tried. I mean, the king can't even change this law. So what did he do? He trusted God through prayer. Look at verse 10. Let's finish this verse. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. First, notice the posture of Daniel's prayer. He got on his knees. Now, I don't think God really cares what position your body is in when you pray. God cares what position or condition your heart is in when you pray. God cares about the condition of your heart, not necessarily the position of your body. But I would say this, sometimes the position of your body can help you express the condition of your heart. Solomon prayed in front of Israel in 2 Chronicles 6.13. The Bible says he built this, this large bronze platform. He got on top of the platform, and 2 Chronicles 6.13 says he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly, and he prayed to God. Why did he do that? Why get on your knees like this and pray to God like that? Why did he do that? Well, he was expressing something that was taking place in his heart. Paul gathered with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, 36. He knelt down 
on his knees, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. In Acts 21.5, the church of Tyre, Paul gathers everyone. There's the women, there's the children, there's everyone in the church. And all of them knelt down on their knees and they prayed. Jesus, when he was in the garden, he knelt down on his knees. Matthew 26.39 says that then he fell down on his face and he prayed. So sometimes the position of your body can help you express the humility of your heart. And I would encourage you to consider that when you pray to God. Uh, yes, I know you can sit in your chair or you can sit at home and you can sit at your desk. You can drive down the road and you can pray and you should do that. You should pray without ceasing. It should be a part of your regular thinking in your life and your response to God. But there are times, and I think regular times, when we should express the humility of our heart before the Lord by getting on our knees before God and crying out to him. And again, don't get me wrong, there's no special thing that happens when you do that, right? It's just a way to say, God, I need you. Second Timothy 2, 8, Paul tells the men of the church to, to pray with hands lifted. So there, that's not actually on your knees. That's, that's different. So it's, okay, this isn't for every situation. But why would, a, why would men in a church come and pray with their hands lifted? It shows them what? It shows them that they're, they're talking to God. They're trusting in the Lord. They're praying to him. And I think sometimes in our context, in our church, let's get a little honest here. We're more conservative, you know, so we like to stand like this. We don't want to make a show of anything, right? So we kind of stand like this. And, <laughs> and listen, I'm not, and I'm not, like, again, does God care about the position of your body? You know, you're not more righteous or less righteous if you have a certain position with your body. But sometimes we actually think to ourselves, like, oh, you know, I don't want to show any expression on the outside because God only cares about the condition of my heart. But actually, what you see in the scripture is people are pretty, pretty expressive. I mean, Daniel has the, the windows, the doors open to his window there, right? He's praying, and they see him. So I think that idea that, that you know, we don't want to pray so people can see us, that's really more of a heart motive, right? It's really more of the, the idea that Jesus told that story of, of the publican, the sinner, the, that's, or not the not sinner, the publican, the tax collector who said, you know, look at me, and he prayed like that. And that's definitely not something we should do. But there actually is a place for saying, I can, I can pray, lift my hands before God or, or kneel before the Lord. And sometimes I have people that will say to me, well, you know, at the end of the service, sometimes you say, you know, if you want to kneel in your chair, but I don't know, people aren't doing it, so I kind of feel, or sometimes, you know, I, I want to pray with my hand in the air like this, but, I, you know, other people aren't doing it. And, and again, it kind of goes back to the idea is like, well, I mean, if you're doing it because other people are doing it, then you're probably doing it for the wrong reason, right? But if something's in your heart, I mean, if it's out of control, then, like, have the Holy Spirit give you self-control. But if it's within your heart, then express to the Lord. You can do that. It's okay. It's okay to do. In fact, I think actually it shows, it shows the, the, the posture of our own heart before God. And so here you see Daniel on his knees before the Lord. What was the content of his prayers? Don't you wish you could just, like, hear what Daniel said there? you know what? I think you can. Would you go over to Daniel chapter 9? Now, I'm not going to be able to go through this whole text because this is going to be September, Lord willing. Some of you laughed at that, but Lord willing. What's interesting, in Daniel chapter 9, you see that in the first year of the reign of Darius, Daniel is praying. So this is probably about this time. I'm not saying these were his prayers right here, in, in Daniel chapter 6, but probably followed this same pattern. 
Look at verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived, notice this, in the books, the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. We're going to get into this next week, but that's the text I read in Jeremiah 29 where God says, listen, I'm going to bring you back after 70 years. I promise you know the plans I have for you. It's plans to prosper you. It's plans that are good for you. Listen, pray to me and I will answer you. And so what you see here is Daniel's considering this text of scripture. I mean, you could say it this way. He has his Bible open. I mean, it's a scroll. So he either has a scroll open, he's reading it, or maybe he just remembers it from memory. and He's thinking through these verses. And so what is his response as he gets on his knees and he prays? And I'm not going to read through this, but you can read through Daniel chapter 9 there and see his prayer. And in his prayer, what you'll see is three main uh, directions of his prayer. One direction is he prays up and prays to God. He praises God. He thanks God. You can see it right there at the beginning of his prayer. Then he prays down, he prays down. He prays a prayer of confession. He, he confesses his own sin, but also he talks about the sins of those who turned away from the Lord, those of the Jewish community. And then he prayed out. He prayed for the people of God. I think it's an interesting pattern of prayer. And actually, you see this in Daniel chapter 6. So go, go back to Daniel chapter 6. Let me, let me recommend to you, when you pray, to pray with your Bible wide open. If prayer is faith in God, then it's helpful to see who God is and what God promises you. So when we pray, it's important, I think it's important to either be remembering God's word or actually have it open and be going through God's word. When we pray with the men each month, I print out verses on there. We actually pray through those verses for a purpose because I want us to consider God's faithfulness, who he is, and place our faith in him. I think about it this way. Some of you are going to go to a restaurant today. And you're going to go in that restaurant. You're going to sit down. Maybe, let's say you go somewhere like Olive Garden. You like Olive Garden? Hopefully. Do I, I wonder if I get, we get something for this for promoting them today. Oh, anyways. So think about Olive Garden. You sit down. And the waiter, the waitress comes up to you. And, and they say to you, the person says to you, you know, what, what would you like to order? And you say, um, hamburger and fries. What are they going to say to you? Uh, no, Italian restaurant, we don't serve that. Our menus have actually even got shorter since the beginning of the shutdown, okay? <laughs> you notice that? They've all gotten shorter. Anyways, and what are they going to do? They're going to give you a menu. The menu is going to tell you who they are. They're an Italian restaurant. It's going to tell you what they promise they can give you. They'll give you fettuccine alfredo with the breadsticks, you know, that are like nice bread. Oh, it's dip it in the sauce, eat it with a salad right there, tossed. They put the cheese on top. Is anyone getting hungry? It's only 1040, okay. But they tell you who they are in that menu, and they tell you what they promise. And then you order from that menu, and you get something for yourself. And your, your faith in that restaurant can only extend to who they are and what they promise you. And the same thing is true of God. Your faith in God can only extend to who God is and what he promises you. So when you pray to God, you can't just pray for anything you want to out there. You have to consider what's God's character like. What does God actually say? And that's, again, that's why I'm saying go to the word of God when you pray. You can't pray separate from God's word. you got to know who he is, and you got to know what he promises you. The, the, you. the faithfulness of God is found in the word of God. 
So what were the content of his prayers? He, he prayed considering who God is, what God had promised. He prayed prayers of, of praise. He prayed up. He prayed prayers of confession. He prayed down. He prayed prayers for others. He prayed out. And those, those three prayers, I think, are really important for you to consider. In fact, look at Daniel 6.10. You can see he prays out and he prays up. Daniel 6.10. He prayed and gave thanks before his God. So you can see two types of prayers, prayer of petition and a prayer of praise. Now, do you notice in our services that we have three types of prayers that we pray? Have you noticed that? We pray a prayer of, well, this morning, actually, Brendan said it. He prayed a prayer of praise. He prayed a prayer of praise, right? Okay, I thought maybe I confused it. And then we had um, Justin. He prayed a prayer of petition. So he prayed out. He prayed. We have our missionaries and we have our different people in the community we're praying for. He prayed for the church. He prayed for our community. So we're praying out. We're praying for those who are around us. Um, Brendan prayed up. He praised God. His entire prayer was all of praise. Now, when's the last time you've done that? When's the last time you, you sat down and you said, Lord, I'm not going to go through my list today. I'm just going to spend as many minutes as I can just praising you. That's an important thing to do. And then you'll notice we also do a prayer of confession. And I, I want to explain that because we don't do that we're not confessing your sins for you. Okay, we're not doing that at all. So when this person is up here and they're confessing sin, what we're doing is we're saying, listen, you recognize what this person is praying and pray with them. Seek the same grace that they are, or they are trusting in. Seek it for your own self. You see in Daniel 9 where Daniel is praying for the Jewish people, but also you got to think of the context of that. God actually commanded them to do that. So we can pray for our country, but we can't confess the sins of our country. Does that make sense? And so there's a sense of confession, uh, the Sunday morning service, that it's actually here to teach you. Even that, what Jorge said, is so good. What we're doing is teaching you. We want to teach you to pray prayers of petition. We want to teach you what it means to pray prayers of praise. We want to teach you what it means to pray prayers of confession. This, this should be a regular part of our life. And then verse 10, notice the earnestness, uh, earnestness of his prayers. The earnestness of his prayers. He got down on his knees and he prayed how many times? three times a day. And again, why did he do this? This was no ritual that he was going through. He was praying to his covenant-keeping God. He was praying to Yahweh, the one who had promised to love him and be faithful to him. So this is, this is him praying in relationship to the one who had covenanted with him. And notice the habit of his prayer. Look at verse 10. Did he do this just because he was going through a hard time? Well, yes. But it wasn't just because of that. The end of verse 10 says, as he had done previously. This was a regular discipline of his life. Now, let's be honest. I could preach on prayer every week. And every one of us, if we had an altar call, we don't do that at this church. But if we had an altar call, everyone would go up here and say, they all struggle with this, right? There's nobody in this room that says, I've got prayer down. All of us need to improve on prayer. But also I think this shows us that this is the most necessary part of our life. This is how we express our faith to God. This is how we receive grace from God. We say, God, I'm coming boldly before the throne of grace that we may receive help in time of need. Like we need God's grace in our life. And prayer is the way we access grace through faith. So I guess the question we have to ask ourselves is why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? Prayer or lack of prayer 
reveals who you trust. Prayer or a lack of prayer reveals who you trust. So if you don't pray, who does it reveal you trust? Ourselves. We need to remember that. Just because everyone struggles with prayer doesn't give us an excuse to say, well, everyone else struggles with it. Listen, prayer reveals who you trust, or lack of prayer reveals who you trust, and if you don't pray, it shows that you trust yourself. And we're not trusting in the faithfulness of God. I think it's so easy for us as Americans, as wealthy, and you might think, I'm not wealthy. Yeah, compared to everyone else in the world, you're wealthy. As wealthy Americans, we, we depend upon our wealth, we depend upon our intellect, our competency. You know, if we have a problem, it's like, what, how can we throw money at that? You know, if we have something to figure out, it's like, how can we get the great minds to figure this out? And so in America, it's like, we are like, we are independent, right? Last week, we had Independence Day. Woohoo! You know, I celebrated it, even if some other people didn't. But we celebrated Independence Day, but we're not independent from God. We need God. We need to depend upon God. And I think that a lack of praying reveals that we believe that we can live independent of God. And if anyone could give an excuse for living independent of God, couldn't it have been Daniel? I mean, here's a guy who had the resources of the kingdom. Like, if he needed to throw money at something, he could. It's a guy that's described as wise. I mean, no one's written anywhere in any book that Ben Ice is wise. But this is written a number of times in the book of Daniel. He had power. He had resources. And honestly, let's, let's be honest, he was busy, right? I mean, he had a kingdom to run. Did he have really time to pray morning, afternoon, and evening? Who has time for that? Well, if you, don't, if you believe that you can't do anything in your own strength, if you believe that you're in desperate need of God, that you depend upon God, then you do that. Daniel knew he couldn't do life on his own. He couldn't live life on his own. He needed God. And so therefore, Daniel prayed. Daniel prayed because Daniel needed God's grace. And he believed God was faithful to give it to him. God was faithful to help him. God was faithful to love him and care for him and provide for him. Now, as we conclude here, again, this sermon is not be like Daniel. It's don't dare to be a Daniel. Here's the sermon. Trust in the faithfulness of God. Our salvation does not rest upon our own faithfulness. Our salvation does not rest upon if you came to church every Sunday this past year. However, I would ask you to do that <laughs> going forward. Our salvation rests upon the faithfulness of God. God was faithful to send his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was faithful to live a holy life. Jesus was faithful to finish the work of redemption on the cross. Jesus was faithful to defeat death and rise again. God is faithful to forgive. God is faithful to cleanse those who come to him in repentance and faith. God in faithfulness saves. God in faithfulness keeps. God in faithfulness sustains us by his grace. And God in faithfulness will take us home to be with him. And so the question for us is, are we trusting in the faithfulness of God? And if, you, if you're not living a life of repentance and faith, I would call you to repent and turn to Christ 
He's faithful. He'll save you. He will give you eternal life. And for us, church, God is faithful. Amen? He's faithful. So you can trust him. No matter where you are, you can trust God by faithfully serving him. Maybe a question for us to ask is, are we serving God? Do we view the context we're in as places and areas of life to serve him? And if not, probably reveals where your faith is. Are you depending on him in prayer? Come on, a lot of us have a lot of struggles during the week, right? And sometimes they deal with other sinners. Sometimes it's because of our own sin. We need to pray to God. We need his grace, don't we? When we don't pray, it shows we don't trust him. And so may God give us strength and grace to trust him more. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, increase our faith, which means what? Increase our prayer life. May we trust him and his faithfulness. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up here. As you're in your seat, I'm going to invite you to the throne of grace. That's the throne before God, the throne of prayer. Pray to him. Trust in his faithfulness. If you're without Christ here this morning, I call you once again to turn and trust in Jesus Christ. Give him your life. Trust in his work on the cross for you. And church, maybe there's some things that God pressed upon your mind. Would you come to him? Maybe there's something you need to confess to him. Maybe you're working, but you're lazy. Maybe you're doing it for yourself. Maybe you're even cheating your boss. You need to confess that and turn from that and turn to Christ. Maybe it's just that you recognize your lack of prayer shows your lack of faith in God. And ask God to give you strength and discipline to trust him more. Let's pray. What a joy it is, Lord, that we can come before your throne and pray that you want to hear and you do hear and you do answer. We can call upon you. We have full confidence. We amen. We believe that you hear, you answer, and you care. That you provide rest for the weary soul. You provide strength for those under trials. You provide hope for eternity. Most importantly, Lord, you give us yourself. We believe that you love us. We believe your love will never end. We believe the greatest way you displayed that love is in Jesus Christ and his death for us on that cross. So Lord, our lives are not our own. Give us the strength, give us the grace this week to pray, to trust you. You are a faithful God. We praise you for that in Jesus' name, amen.